Coming up right now, the newest episode from Carr, Gwyn, and Ode on Three Pagans and a Cat. The time will come when diligent research over long periods will bring to light things which now lie hidden. Welcome to Embracing Dissonance, the 24th episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of first century philosopher Seneca the Younger. You may call me Ode. You can call me Carr. I'm Ode's father. Mary Meet. My name is Gwyn, Ode's mother. So I need to read the yes. patrons because it's our it's first the first one. episode of November. November. First episode of November. So thank you to all our patrons. Carr yes. will now read the name. We love you, kittens. We do love our kittens. Yep. So here are the cats. Amy Scholes, Emily Hagling, Aaron Mao, Gary Bearstorm, Marcella, Stephen Brown, Susan DeHaan, and Tally Kazoyle Thomason. And then our hunters are Eris, Charles Howison, Kay Kremer, Carly, Lorelai, and Stevie Thomason. And then we have a tiger, Akaneko, who is currently listening online. <laughs> And we have a Jaguar. <laughs> Justin Standage. Thank you guys very much. We appreciate um, yes, your patronage. We appreciate yeah, so all your much. support. Yep. Your support means so much to us. So that's it for patrons. I do want to cover a couple of things here. Like yeah, we have right some. We have some stuff going on. Some stuff that we're doing with you. Some stuff that we're doing upcoming soon. Yep. Just yep. as three pagans that we want you guys to know about. So yep. we're going to cover that really quick, and then we'll get into the episode. Yep. Here are the things that are big. First one. The Yuling. Mm-hmm. Oh my this gosh. has turned out significantly bigger than I think we thought it was yeah, going to be. Yeah, I think we we were thinking like four or five people would participate. Yeah, yeah. And we are currently up to 24. Yeah. So, <laughs> which we're thrilled. Which is great. Yeah, and yes, I think yeah. that's amazing. And we're super thrilled that it's a round number. <laughs> yes. That <laughs> it's an even number, which so means everyone if, can if pair If you're unfamiliar with what the Yuling is, because we talk about it at the end of every episode right. rather than the beginning of every episode... The Yuling basically is like Secret Santa. So you're going to get matched up with somebody. You're going to get their address to mail them, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. The kind of the path that they're on. Then you can send something to them. We have said no more than $10. Yep. Get whatever that you get to send them. Mm -hmm. We we want to make something. Yeah, we're suggesting handmade stuff because that's always more fun. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Pretty cool. That's going. But we need to end it. At the end of November. Yeah, the, so, the, the last day of November is the last chance you have to sign up. That's right. For the Yuling. That's right. That way we can get it all organized and yep. get people and get everybody the information they like need that. in time for things to actually show up around Yule. Yep. Right, exactly. So there's the Yuling. You now have that information. And how you can sign up for it is. Oh, yeah, you email yeah. me. You email car at threepaganzandacat.com with your a name that the post office will recognize. Yep. Your mailing address. Yep. And what path or tradition you follow. That's exactly it. So it's car at three, the number three, pagansandacat.com. That's correct. Yep. We all have our own individual pages on Facebook now. Do you feel important? Do you feel special? Not really. (laughs) But, you know, I had to ask. So there is a Gwyn of Three Pagans and a Cat, an Mm -hmm. Ode of Three Pagans and a Cat, and now a car of Three Pagans and a Cat Facebook pages. So feel free to join those. If you want to talk to some of us individually, individually ask yep. questions, or there's services that Ode and I yeah, both provide. Gwen, Gwen and I are providing tarot readings, and mm-hmm. she's and, providing mediumship and stuff like that. And you can uh, sign up for appointments and things yeah. like that yep. on Right there on, on Facebook, Facebook which yep. right there. I didn't even know was a thing until I made a page. Yep. yep. And then I'm going to add Oum readings to mine. So, Ooh, yeah. Car's Oum readings are really good. interesting. Yeah. yeah, he's very good at it. 
Anyway, yeah, so those are the cool things. Uh, also coming up, places we're going to be shortly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I, we're past the summer like travel extravaganza, but we do still have a few events coming up. Yes. In November, we're going to be at Arts and Craft as a group mm-hmm. for their... Psychic Fair. Psychic Fair, yes, which is November the 24th. Yep. Yeah. Yep, from noon to 5. Yep. And it's at Arts and Craft in Hartford, Michigan. Yep. So you can come by Arts and Craft, which is really close to us. Yeah. Uh, But you can come by there. There's going to be multiple readers, Mm -hmm. uh, not just Gwyn and Ode. I think they're uh, but, supposed to, they're looking into having, trying to have food. Yep. They're looking into maybe having face paintings, so stuff for kids. Yep. It's going to be a fun event. Yeah, so that'll be cool. And yep. then in December, on the 14th, 15th. 15th of December, we all three will be at... Spirits of Yule, Flint. In Flint, Michigan. As part of the Witch's Tea. Yeah, we, yep. Gwen and I did the Witch's Tea a month ago. Yep. Yeah, in October. And we were reading there, and there was a lot of fun. And, you know, a lot of people, it was packed, like it was super, super packed, you guys. Mm -hmm. So they're doing this Yule event Mm -hmm. and we were invited to come back. So we're going to be there again. Yeah, and And it's actually pretty cool because it's like a three-part thing. So during the day, they have like a vendor fair Mm -hmm. with a couple of people reading. And then they've got the tea that's going on. With a larger group of people reading, including mm-hmm. Jack uh, Mercer. Yeah, Jack he, Mercer, he reads bones. Who reads bones? Really cool dude. One yep. of the few people who actually does throw the bones. It's yeah. kind of a. Yeah. It's not a, a regular. It's not a widespread practice, practice. Yep. divination yep. technique. Yeah. He's very good at it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And Quinn and Ode and a couple of other people. So definitely show up for that if you can. Mm-hmm. All of that information is online. It's If it's not on our Facebook page, it will be shortly. I'll make sure I share those over. Mm-hmm. And then after that's over, they're having a drum circle. Right. Yeah. As well, which is kind of cool. Also at Convocation, which is in February in Detroit, we will be doing <laughs> our Hyperspeed Building Your Book series. So this the, is the, the Hyperspeed entire... Ultra Relay Single Class. <laughs> edition. Right. That's right. This will be the Building Your Book series kind of overview, I guess, of yeah. all the different parts mm-hmm. in an hour and a half. We've taught the Building Your Book series before in three lessons. Yes. Mm-hmm. We have never taught the Building Your Book series in one lesson. It's a right. challenge. So we're, we are looking we're, forward we're, to it. We're working on that Putting that together now, yep. and mm-hmm. that's going to be coming up at Convocation, yep. so. which, which is, is in February. February 22nd, 23rd, 24th, and I think 25th or something like that. It's like yeah. four days. We mm-hmm. only got to go to one day last year, and we loved the one day we were there. Yes. So we're going to get to go through the whole event mm-hmm. this year. And then that's I think that, like, the really cool thing, which I'm super excited about. I know, I know. This is very exciting and interesting. Is that at Michigan Pagan Fest, mm-hmm. which is four days at yep. Wayne County Fairgrounds. We went for all four days last year. We did. It was, it was great. It was a fun yep. time. We don't know whether we're teaching or not yet because they haven't done this announcement. It is June 20th through the 23rd. There you yeah. go. But we are the official, Three Pagans and a Cat is the official media sponsor for the entire festival. Yeah. So we are going to be doing live podcasts. We're going to be doing interviews. Yep. Interviews. Yep. It's, we're going to have our own little booth it's, set yeah, up. It's going to be, be fun. I'm really looking forward to this. We've never done anything quite like it. We've no. done, you know, live podcasts occasionally yep. at events. At Conjure right. Fest. Yep. At so, Conjure, and, and we did a video for that. Right. But it was only mm-hmm. 25, 30 yeah, minutes. Yeah, it wasn't very long. This but is this gonna one's be... going to be basically almost all day, every day, there'll be one of us on. Yep. Mm-hmm. Somebody talking. will be at the booth 
booth, chit-chatting, yep. live. Exactly. <laughs> Probably a lot of me because they like to go to classes. They like classes. Right. <laughs> so, and then we'll come back and tell you about uh-huh. the classes. So you'll hear a lot of car talking to hopefully speakers uh-huh. and random people just wandering around aimlessly who I managed to grab and drag over. That'll all be on YouTube. Yep. And then the audio will be put up as podcast as well. We'll probably do like a greatest hits clip. Yeah. yeah. We think it would be pretty cool and we're excited about it. Very excited. Yeah. So that's coming up in the summer. Mm -hmm. Got a little bit of lead time on that one, but we just found out about it and we wanted to let you all know. And so you would just go to michiganpaganfestival.com and all of the information about that. And I mean, if you can come to Michigan Pagan Fest, do. We loved it last year. We had such a good time. And we'd love to meet you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I guess we can get into the episode now. There's a little bit at the beginning here that's going to be sort of leftovers from last episode that we didn't have time to talk about. Mm -hmm. The last episode we did, we talked about our individual paths and sort of how we got from a majority of religion, Christianity, to where we are right now, three separate minority traditions. Yep. And then how we sort of came together as a family and started working together. We talked about all of that, and we had intended in that episode to also talk about sort of recovering from the wounds left behind by the religion that we came from, Mm -hmm. from Christianity, because our experiences with Christianity were not positive, and they left us with some damage that's been difficult for some of us to sort of process moving forward into new religions and Mm -hmm. into new practices. We didn't have time to cover all of that last episode, but we felt it was really, really important to discuss these topics and to discuss them really openly and honestly with you guys, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because I think it's something a lot of people struggle with and, more importantly, struggle to admit that they're struggling with. Right. Yep, Yep. exactly. There's there's not, like, an explicit stigma against discussing this, I don't think, but there is just sort of an atmosphere of, well, keep it to yourself. Right. There is, a little bit. Although there has been some discussion of it on the uh, group, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. Three Pagans and a Cat group on Facebook. Yep. Mm-hmm. And lots of people, when they introduce themselves, both there and on the Discord, say, well, I came from Christianity. Right. Mm-hmm. And... I came from, I was a Catholic, I was a Lutheran, right. I was a Methodist, mm-hmm. blah, right. blah, blah. Yeah. And, I, and here's how I got here. Right. Exactly. So it's a, it's a big part of a lot of people's paths. And I think it's important for us to acknowledge the wounds that we have. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because until you until you do that, you certainly can't start treating them, which means there's no hope of recovering from it. Right. Exactly. That stuff will just continue to fester in you and poison your new practice. Yep. So I think mm-hmm. it's important to. So do you that. have any? I probably have some that are just by proxy or residual. I wasn't in Christianity as an active participant for a very long time. So, and I was a child when I was. Right. It didn't inform my sense of myself, my identity Mm -hmm. very strongly. Probably what I struggled with was just the sort of societal Christianity, Mm -hmm. social Christianity. Sure. Just sort of the things that have filtered into what most people don't even think of as Christianity, but they just think of as like ethics. Right. Or morals. Or being an American. Or, or yeah, patriotism. Yeah. Right. Those concepts have all gotten very muddy in modern society and very mixed up, even though we think of these as very separate topics. So I think there's probably some, like, latent stuff in me that comes from Christianity, attitudes about humility, which, like, is certainly not a heathen value. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> There's a whole religious ceremony where, like, half of it is dedicated to boasting about the things you're going to do. <laughs> I'm not super comfortable with that part of that right. of that practice. Mm-hmm. And I sort of avoid it because I worry about, like, well, what if I don't succeed? Then I'm breaking oaths and there are consequences for breaking oaths. And I'm not a an insecure person and I don't have, like, struggles with my self-confidence or anything. But I do struggle to acknowledge when I'm good at something. Right. 
That's to, right. to, to take, true. you know, to yeah. take, take to take ownership of, of my accomplishments. Right. And that, I think, comes down from that the meek shall inherit the earth, you know. Right. God pride is a sin. Praise first. Exactly. I think that comes down from that residual Christianity. Not that like it's not a foundational part of my core identity and it never was, but I've got sort of the after effects of that just from swimming in the same sea almost. Mm -hmm. Right. I think for me, it comes down to I don't like big group religious ceremonies anymore. Mm -hmm. And so that makes it very difficult for me to do like a public ritual. Yeah. Because to me, that's a religious service at that point, and I don't want to have anything to do with them. So I tend to stay away from rituals and that kind of stuff because of that. Yeah. Because it reminds you of church. Because it reminds me of church. Right. Exactly. Even though I know it's completely different intellectually, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's still hard for me to do it, you know, just as a person, just because it just, I don't know, it just feels churchy. Mm -hmm. And I think that's okay that you feel that way. I think a lot of people feel that way. Yeah. Um, And like I said, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. No, I'm not. to get past it because I feel yeah. like I'm missing some stuff. Community, so, maybe. Community, that, yeah, community yeah. yeah. You know, it's it's been an interesting thing. That's really the only thing that's really bothered me is I don't really have like the guilt and stuff that tends to go along with mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. coming out of Christianity. It seems to me but, like sometimes you have a little anger toward yeah toward the church. Oh yeah, well there's definitely that. Yeah, yeah. lots of anger, <laughs> which is its anger. own kind and of that's wound, fair. right? Yeah. yeah, and and part of that was just you know I was treated so poorly mm-hmm. by the church. Yeah, many people are treated yeah. very right. poorly by their right. individual exactly. churches, even if not by the church at large. It's actually right. a serious, a very serious problem. Yeah. yeah, but being a person who worked for mm-hmm. the church and then still being treated like shit. Right, like you, you're supposed to be part of sort of the inner circle. Right. And, right. and yet. Right. right. Yeah, and exactly. that's where some of the worst wounding actually occurs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or are the so. people on staff. And it then just, to be just, just like draining, yeah, sort of run work. into the ground and, yeah. and and basically unceremoniously kicked out the door. Yeah, I guess there's still some anger issues and there there's, with them. There were a lot of we mentioned this in the last episode. There were a lot of controls put on your life oh, yeah. by the church, yeah. mm-hmm. which is not the sort of thing that I think the church really has any business being involved in, right? It, it, As in an organization, personal, yeah, in yeah. Your personal, personal life. life, yeah, yeah. I mean, but like, it is a routine practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is. I mean, I totally practice. get like you don't want me to smoke on the campus, right? Right. You or, have a you have a dry campus or whatever. Right, That's right. one thing. Yep. But um, saying you can't smoke or drink in your own home, right, is another issue, and that is something that churches try to do with their staff members. Oh, yeah, I had to sign paperwork that yeah. said I wouldn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. It didn't stop you. No. no. No, it didn't. Actually, I don't think I smoked the entire time I was no, there. No, you didn't. But you did um, You did drink. But I did drink, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, you can't live in Grand Rapids, Michigan and not visit a brewery. <laughs> Well, um, you can, but you know. But you're missing out. <laughs> but you're missing out, yeah. <laughs> when you you should have seen the look he gave me. <laughs> when, you, when you live in Beer City, USA, oh, it's fairly important to... To at least check in. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, there might be a new really good beer that comes and you, out. And you, you know, won't know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. If it's limited run, what are you going to do? Right, exactly. <laughs> so you've got to make a plan. Uh-huh. You know, maybe every or, Wednesday or, or, or something. Or what if it's really good, but the brewer decides, mm, I'm not sure about this one. It was a pain to make, and I only sold so much. Okay, Michael, right. we're talking about breweries here. <laughs> Get back on topic. Side podcast. Side podcast. <laughs> Three pagans and, and a beer. <laughs> <laughs> Except I don't drink beer, but you know. Two pagans like, and a beer. Two pagans and a beer. That's about what it would be. Three, tra- three pagans, two beers, and a glass of wine. <laughs> That's perfect. I'll go for that. Yeah. All right. On to you. Yeah. When? Um, you had what I would, I guess, consider a much more serious, like, 
Yeah, I, more more serious sort of long term effects. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I, I think sometimes even now, several years having returned to the pagan path after hiatus, hiatus, I, I still deal with that residual guilt. And I think it's just because it's something that's been ingrained since childhood. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was a Christian from the time I was a six-year-old child. And as I mentioned in the previous episode, I was a very spiritual kid. So I was really aware of the concept of God and Jesus. And I wanted to be God's friend and mm-hmm. I wanted God to like me. And I was, I was worried, you know, that if I did something wrong, if I did a quote unquote sin, uh-huh. that... which for a child is anything. Yeah. Yeah. And so it got to the point, you know, when I look back on it, it got to the point where I literally was praying, confessing and asking forgiveness for literally everything I did. Just mm-hmm. breathing. You know, if I existence. breathed, right, just existence. Because you never know. Well, I might have done something and not realized it. Well, and one of the core tenets is that your existence is a sin. Yeah. Yeah. You have, in, you have, you are born With broken. Original sin. Yeah. You With are born broken and sick. Yeah. And God is And the only even way to if fix you it. do only good things your entire life, you are still sinful. Exactly. Yeah. Inherently. Exactly. That is like a naturally damaging thing to tell, especially a child. Mm-hmm. And the thing is you don't realize that until you're on the outside looking in and you go, "Oh, that's a load of crap to put over a child or an or even an adult." Yeah. yeah. An adult. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, talk about the foundation of some existential crises. Like, yeah, yeah. How and are you so, supposed to reconcile what you've been taught of morals and ethics, what, what you're going to continue to learn about morals and ethics as you grow up with this concept that no matter how good your behavior is, no matter how you respond or react to the other people in your life, you and they are all inherently evil, essentially. You have to keep a real short account. And it's this whole thing about, you know, you're a new creation and you're all this kind of stuff when you accept Jesus. But I never felt like a new creation. I always felt like I was flawed. Like you were still made out of clay. Like I was still being, you know, made wrong. I was made, but I was made wrong, Mm -hmm. you know, if you will. You know, when I got into really learning the craft years ago, exploring Wicca and then witchcraft and Christian witchcraft Mm -hmm. and then giving it up again because of, of guilt, basically. And fear. And yeah. fear. Yeah, you hiatusized you, because yeah. of that. You had a spook. Yeah. It was it was really based on fear. And the funny thing is I, I got to thinking about it. It was about 10 years worth of time that I called myself a Christian. I might have been a Christian for maybe half of that. Mm-hmm. Because then I stopped going to church. Mm-hmm. I stopped praying. I stopped reading the Bible because I went right back to those questions. I went right back to the, what is the point of all this? I I don't understand why I'm repeating the same thing over and over. And I was teaching people Mm -hmm. this stuff. I was teaching people to be like this. It it just got to be ridiculous. And and I think even after I said, you know, fuck it, I'm a a witch. I'm (laughs) happy being a witch. I still, because your father hadn't come out to say definitively he was no longer a Christian. Mm -hmm. You and I were talking about the fact that I was, was now a practicing witch again. That I was no longer identifying as a Christian at all. At all, all. yeah. Um, We talked about that before you even went back to being a witch. You had come to me and said, I'm not a Christian anymore. I'm not doing anything, essentially. Exactly. Because of that inherent fear of judgment, Mm -hmm. I didn't tell you. Of hellfire. Yeah, I didn't tell your father. Yeah. Yeah, there was a long time where we just didn't 
I, I kept, as a family, was, we didn't talk yeah. about it. We didn't talk about it. I kept all my because, grimoire and everything and, very stealth. And I think part of the reason that happens is that there's a long tradition in the church of shunning mm-hmm. members inside the family unit, inside mm-hmm. the church unit, who deviate from the script. Right. Well, that's actually biblical. That's yeah, in that's, the, that's in the Bible. And, and that can, well, people think of it. Because it's supposed to draw know, them back. I know. People think of it as something that only happens in cults, but it doesn't. Mm-hmm. It happens in regular churches, yeah. in regular families. Relationships are destroyed over this kind of thing. So there's a lot of tension and anxiety about revealing to mm-hmm. the most important people in your life that you've broken from the faith. There's oh. a reason why I've still haven't told exactly. my mom. And yeah. that's exactly. why we did a whole episode on broom closets. And how to stay right. in it if and you need to. And how to stay to. in it if you need to. Some people will never come out of the broom closet. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, I talked to my mom yesterday yeah. on the phone, and her first question was, so have you found a new church yet? I'm and like, oh, no, I just haven't had time. Yeah, um, I mean, eventually we'll have to face the music on that one probably. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's still a hard thing mm-hmm. to do. Yeah. It's yep. a hard thing to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's a choice no one can make for you when it's the right time to do that. No, right. exactly, yep. exactly. How do you overcome that? Honestly, yeah. I, I think it's just time. Time and letting go of the programming mm-hmm. that you had and recognizing it when it happens. This happened not that long ago, I guess maybe six couple months of, ago. Yeah, a couple, couple of months ago, I three or four months exactly ago. I exactly what you had done some reading for someone in public right and it had taken longer than you had expected Mm -hmm. and at some point i had to like pull you away from that and move the conversation on to something else right right. um and you were concerned that i and that other people in the group had perceived you as being arrogant in some way right that's correct for sharing the message you were receiving Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that comes from you know that idea that you have to be subservient subservient that you have to be humble yeah and humble yourself before Humble God. yourself yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And you never, it's prideful. You don't acknowledge your own gifts and talents. So she came to me concerned that I was upset Yeah, about the way this interaction had gone. And I told her, no, I wasn't upset. I just needed to move the conversation on. And maybe like you could continue that conversation with this individual person mm-hmm. who you had this message for in private later, but like the whole group sort of just needed to move on. And so we talked about that for a, for a while about why she felt like she was guilty, like she was guilty, why she was feeling his guilt about that. And I told her, I think this is just a remnant a of Christianity for you. Right. I think this is just an echo of the things you were taught you should feel about your gifts. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because I was taught not to use any kind of spiritual gift unless it was from God. Mm-hmm. So anything that I do as a medium, as a psychic, she as had a to witch, sort of reframe. I had to reframe into a Christian view. Yeah. Gifts words of, the of spirit, knowledge. Words of uh-huh. knowledge, prophecy. Good, when, the gift of discernment. Yeah. The gift of discernment. When it's all the same thing. So yeah, I have to, at that time, really sit down and examine how I was feeling and basically reprogram that. Yeah. I think there's a lot of shadow work involved in this process. There's a lot of finding those places in yourself that are damaged. Mm -hmm. Uh, And sometimes you don't find those places until they become a problem. Yeah. And you look back on it and say, oh, that's where that came from. But finding those places in yourselves, finding those injuries and sitting down with them Mm -hmm. to understand where they came from, why they still hurt you and how you can fix them. Yeah. Release them and bring and replace it with something new, something healthier. We'll probably do a first step on shadow work at some point here. Probably, yeah. It's time for Gwen's Garden Gems. So, getting away from all that depressing yeah. shit. <laughs> right, exactly. Right. Yeah, um, yeah, that was a little bit that was a little bit rough. A little deep, a little deep. 
Uh, what I'm going to be talking about today is Lucky Bamboo. Yay! I love Lucky Bamboo. It I is... love your Lucky Bamboo, too. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wonderful plant mm-hmm. to have either on an altar or just in your home. It is an Asian plant. plant. It's from yeah. the Asian continent. Mystical terms, it is considered masculine. Deity that is connected to is Hini. It's connected to all of the elements, hmm. which I thought was interesting. See, I would have put bamboo in a very water place. Yeah, you would it, think. It but needs a lot of water. Yeah, It does, but I read something somewhere that it's connected to earth, comes up through the water, breathes through the air, and then somehow is related to fire as interesting. well. So I think the energy, the kinetic energy mm-hmm. of fire. So basically it represents all four of the elements. And in some Eastern religions, bamboo is the only acceptable material for ritual, particular ceremonial or ritual objects. Mm. It won't work if it's, if made it's not, out of bamboo. Any, if it's not yeah. bamboo. Bamboo is known for its protection properties. Luck, which is why its name was Lucky Bamboo. Excellent for hex breaking, as well as creating and empowering wishes. Mm. And then, so I I found some interesting things that you can do with bamboo. Obviously, it's recommended to keep bamboo dishes and tools and things like that in your altar space, in your home, for that added protection that it offers, as well as growing it in your home. Mm -hmm. You can take a piece of bamboo, carve a wish into that piece, and then bury it in a secluded area so that the wish can come true. You can carry a piece of lucky bamboo in your pocket for luck as an amulet. You can crush the wood into powder and burn it for protection as a protection incense. Mm -hmm. I thought this was interesting too. You can also hollow out a bamboo stalk, stalk, stuff stuff it full of a spell ingredients, Mm -hmm. And then seal it with wax. And it would be meant to be something you carry with you. So either a money spell, a protection spell, breaking a hex or a curse. It would also be biodegradable. It's biodegradable. Exactly. I like that a lot. Yeah, exactly. So it's it's very, very versatile as a magical tool, but also as a magical partner because it is a plant. So it is an ally. Yeah. Mom's bamboo is just a very like bright, cheerful little thing. Yes, it is. It's actually a replacement for, uh, yeah, that we uh, killed uh, by accident. By accident, because this is, this is what you have to do for lucky bamboo. It does, it does have some care conditions. It has some care conditions, especially indoors. Now, the nice thing about lucky bamboo is it does not require sunlight. It can live on artificial light. It doesn't need a single drop of sunlight its entire freaking life. It can live in strictly indoors. That's why it makes a great mm-hmm. plant to have it in office yep. space. It's also, you you don't need to have it in dirt. It needs to thrive and survive in water. So you put Yeah, it, you usually find it in rock and like there will be like a gelatin sort uh, of growing material. It, yeah, a growing food kind of material. Yeah. And then you just watch it. And when you don't see the water above the rocks, you just add a little more water. This is where we went wrong. Mm-hmm. Not tap water. It needs to be distilled or purified room temperature water yeah gotcha but if you do that if you just give it distilled room yep. temperature water it's going to just be green and it'll just grow you and get be shoots and leaves and it's green and wonderful and it just has a wonderful friendly energy mm-hmm so, and do remember, if you do choose to use some of the bamboo for spell work, such as I described, it is your ally. So ask it first mm-hmm. if it will allow you to, or if it is okay for you to, to cut that little piece of bamboo mm-hmm. stalk from it and use it in partnership with you. Yep. But anyway, that's Lucky Bamboo. I think everyone should have Lucky Bamboo in their home, in their office, on their altar. And aside from the water requirement, they're not hard to take care no, of. No, they're super, super easy. 
And I'm going to slaughter this, so I'm going to say, first off, to Akaneko, I'm sorry, but <laughs> the actual deity's name is Niniji no Mikoto. Oh, interesting. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. If you want to look up that deity. Thank Excellent. You. Thank you, Carr. Good job, Carr. <laughs> Lorelai just asked, who's listening online right now. Hi, Lorelai. Uh, so would it make a good low-light houseplant? I have very limited Absolutely. light. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Go for bamboo, for sure. I recommend Fill it. your well, house up with bamboo. Fill, get as many little guys <laughs> as you want, because it's easy to find them as well. You can find them at the florist. You can find them often at, at grocery stores, like mm-hmm. in our area. It's Meyer or Aldi. Do make sure, again, that you are giving it distilled not water. water. Not tap water. Make no sure matter how clean you, tap, you think your tap water is, exactly. don't right. do it. Don't do it, because what will happen is the stalks will slow, and it can take a long time. Yeah, we had ours for probably a year. Year and a half before before, before we realized <laughs> we saw the damage, but it'll slowly start to lose its color, and then its leaves will turn white, and there's no rescuing it from yeah. that. And huh. eventually, the uh, the roots rot. It essentially just mm. gets poisoned. Yeah, it gets poisoned. <laughs> so do not poison your bamboo. Yeah. <laughs> it is perfect in low light. Yeah, you can stick this thing in a corner that never like that's nowhere near a window. It'll be fine. Exactly, and you can get all various sizes. Yep. Oh, interesting, Akaneko. Mm-hmm. Fun fact: Lucky bamboo is not a true bamboo. It's oh. a shrub and not part of the grass family like bamboo. Oh, interesting. I can echo bringing the interesting botany facts. Right. Especially if you're in an office space where there's maybe a lot of negative energy. Yeah, bring in a little bamboo. bring in some bamboo for that because it repels negative energy and it brings protection. That's it for Gwyn's Garden Gems. Now on to the next little section that we have for this episode, which uh, Ode has prepared in a very cool way. I don't know, I'm making it up. Okay. <laughs> I was looking at him like, what the fuck are what you talking about, man? So one of the other things we wanted to talk about last episode that we didn't really have time for mm-hmm. is we talked about how we got to our paths, to our traditions, right. how we found our way. But we wanted to give you all some just sort of general advice for what that process looks like. Because a lot of people just aren't even sure where to start. Right. So I'm going to give you guys some advice that I got from a friend of mine who I won't name because I don't know if she wants me to. <laughs> but it's good advice. I've used it myself. Yeah. She gave me this advice years and years ago before I really even started looking for a religion when I was just sort of asking her, well, how did you end up where you are? Because she's a uh, Kemetic. She she follows uh, an Egyptian tradition. Right. Yep. And I was like, well, how the heck did you get there? So she relayed this advice to me. It's advice she gives to a lot of people. Uh, and I'm paraphrasing. But what she said was, when you're sort of going through a list of religions, deciding which one's going to work for you, you should have three criteria. First... You should put a check mark next to every religion that will make you a better person. Okay. What will improve you ethically, morally, financially, physically, in whatever criteria yep. will make you a better person. Then go through those religions that you've given a better check mark to, right? Right. And put a check mark next to which ones will make you a happier person. So focus not on the the things in that religion that will push you down or denigrate you or make you unhappy. Remove those from your list entirely. Focus on the religions that will make you happier in some way. Okay. And then the final criteria is focus on the religions that you find most beautiful, that you find something aesthetically pleasant about, that... Something that gives you that 
that resonates that with you. That resonate, that that home feeling. Yeah. Well, maybe not even that home feeling, but something that you find beautiful that mm. you're not going to be able to fully connect with a religion that you think is ugly. Right. That you don't enjoy the ritual of, that you don't enjoy the practice of. Mm -hmm. If there's some requirement in this religion that you find repulsive in some way, you're not going to be able to like engage with it with mm -hmm. your full authenticity. Right. So yeah. better person, happier person, most beautiful. Those are the three criteria for finding a religion. If you can hit all three of those check marks, you have found the right place for you. Gotcha. So you need to find all, you need to hit all three. Ideally. It's not like two of the three. Right. No, you're not looking for, for best two of three. Gotcha. In an Happy ideal ending. world and with as many religions as are available to you, you mm -hmm. should be able to find something that hits all three of those check marks. Yeah. That's right. That's very cool. Yeah. So. Yeah, that was the advice I got. And it's that is actually like the system I went through when I was looking for religion, when I was, you know, really decided I was going to dive in and do the thing. Right. I made lists and I did research and I said, okay, well... Here are the ones where the tenants will probably improve on my natural flaws. Okay. Here are the ones where I think I could enjoy the process. Okay. Here are the ones where I find something about this ritual or this structure or these gods beautiful. Okay. Mm -hmm. And when I had narrowed it down to that short, short list, that's when I went on the actual journeys, actually trying to connect. Very cool. So part of this today, or the, I guess the major part of this today, mm -hmm. was figuring out research, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, how yeah. Yep. how you do that thing I did how first, right? Yep, and make that list, and then how you dig deeper, mm -hmm. right? And because most of us are in minority traditions or minority religions, there's a, just a hard limit to the information you have available to and you, right? It can be overwhelming. It can be both overwhelming and insufficient. Yep, because unlike you know, a majority religion like Christianity, where there are thousands of books about Hundreds this one subject in mm -hmm. this religion. Yeah. And you can get, you know, millions of opinions from yeah. everyone in your religion about this one subject and drill down until you find, like, the person who you agree with. In minority religions, you're very much on your own trying to figure those things out. Right. Mm -hmm. exactly. there, you know, there may be a subject in your religion that just... Nobody wrote a book about it. Right. Nobody before you has cared enough to dig deep down and write a book on the subject and make that information available to you. And then you maybe have no to one has out. even maybe no one has even cared enough to write a blog post about yeah. it. And then you, you are have left to figure out how exactly. it works for you. You are right. left with primary sources and adjacent information. Yep. And you have to just figure that shit figure out. Figure it out and personal experience. And that's where the overwhelming part comes from. Yep. That's where people go, oh my God. How do I do how this? How do I do this? Right. <laughs> Can I do this? Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. And, and this is the kind of thing that it's going to be a lifelong process. Yeah, it really is. It is. Yeah. And that's the truth for any kind of spirituality, religion. Mm -hmm. It's it's not something that one and done. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know you're just, boom, I know it all. I'm great. Yeah. Here we go. No, it's a life journey. Right. And unlike in Christianity, where there are about a, as many options as there are people mm -hmm. in the religion mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for teachers you can go to, mm -hmm. for quote-unquote elders. Right. In a minority religion, there may, only, there may only be like three elders in your entire tradition. Right. Yeah, exactly. So you may not be able to find someone who knows the answer <laughs> to your question. And only one of them is probably good. Yeah, exactly. Uh -huh. And that person you can never get a hold of. Exactly. 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 So. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that that person has turned off their social media because too many because they're right. the one competent reliable elder in their tradition and they just don't have time anymore you know right. so you you sort of have to after a fashion become your own elder yeah right you do 
as unpleasant ways. and complicated as that is. And because, you know, also a lot of pagans are solitaries. I mean, yes, yeah. there are covens out there and there are kindreds, kindreds yeah. and, and groves, like, groves, groves yeah. and things like that. But if you are like me, you're in a tradition that really doesn't doesn't group up group up necessarily very often uh-huh. um or very well or you know or at all just, you know, yeah a lot of witches and wiccans tend to find themselves as solitaries yep. and then you are literally dependent upon yourself to figure this shit out yep. yeah you can though that's yeah. the thing we're here to tell you do that we're here to tell you that we've been doing this the whole time, frequently on a, like, fortnightly basis as we prepare for episodes. We're right. like, so what is my stance on this subject? Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And then going to find out because, like, there's not a pastor to tell me what my stance should be. There's right. just there. the primary sources, three blog posts that were written 12 years ago, and my own judgment. And, you know, I think that comes down to it as well, is that a lot of people, as we mentioned earlier, are coming out of Christianity, Mm -hmm. a religion that tells you your pastor is who tells you what to think. And and someone above him in the hierarchy tells him what to think and believe. On and on and on, up until you get to Peter at the pearly gates. Exactly. (laughs) There there are some traditions within within Christianity, some denominations, Mm -hmm. that you only listen to your pastor. Mm -hmm. So, and you don't question your pastor. Yeah, there is one authority in your life. Questions are not tolerated right. and yeah so you never have to form mm-hmm. you Your never have opinion. you never have yeah. to go to the primary source in that case the bible and three blog posts from 12 years ago and try to figure it out for yourself you just go to the pastor and say what does this mean exactly right. exactly or his approved list mm-hmm. of other teachers right or books that's not gonna fly that doesn't fly in a minority in the, religion it doesn't right. fly yep. there's just not enough of us exactly but it, we're gonna reiterate you can. You absolutely do this. can. You absolutely it's, can. And sometimes it's very hard work. Sometimes it's going to take you a couple of months. And that's mm-hmm. where it, the rubber really meets, meets the, the road. road. Yeah. In that you find out is this truly a path you are called to? Yeah. Are you truly a pagan, or is this just something that piqued your interest? Right. And right. I want to be clear and that that's okay I, if you exactly. if it turns out you're not. Exactly. I want to be clear that like there's no, at least for me, there's no stigma for going back to Christianity no, if that's no, where you truly. Not genuinely belong. If that's the religion that makes you a better person, a happier person, and that you find most beautiful, then congratulations, that's the right one for you. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to try and talk you out of that. If paganism and like the grinding, grueling work of paganism, mm-hmm. especially of the really small traditions, is not Resonating satisfying you. to you, yep. is too much work for you, or is just too daunting, or you thought it would be, you know, beautiful, but you're finding that it's not, or you thought it would make you happier, but you're just miserable. Or Move it just on. scares you. <laughs> yeah, it, exactly. It just scares you for some reason. Right. You, That's okay. You don't have to stay here. No. There don't. is, we don't need converts. So you're welcome to like go with whatever genuinely works for you. Exactly. No shame in this house. Okay? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So having gotten that out of the way, the, the, the caveats of like prepare for work. Yeah. Most of these are homework religions. It, it, yeah. They really are. And yeah. that's, I think, a, that is something that people have to come into it understanding mm-hmm. is you do have to do homework. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you I wanna, have to do your research. I want to talk about one of the, the components of that research that's really tricky and a little bit divisive, maybe, inside the pagan community, which is I like to read academic papers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like to read academic papers about my religion, written by people who don't follow my religion. Right. I like to read academic papers 
by like Norse literature associate professors who write papers about like the folkloric origins of Loki as compared to the Vat as compared to the Ashlad, which are three folkloric figures that one professor has made connections to and has, you know, expounded on their relationship and what these nuances add to the character of Loki in the Eddas, right? Right. Because even though that's not a religious text, mm -hmm. it provides me with more context for the folklore of that area, which, because my primary text is not a primary text, right? Mm -hmm. because the Eddas were written by Christians decades after the Christianization mm -hmm. of Scandinavia mm -hmm. provides me with more layers, lets me dig down deeper into what maybe the original character of yeah. those of those gods was. And I think that's an important thing is that people do look look into the mythology, look into what scholars are saying about the mythology. And they're probably not going to be telling you things that are immediately useful to you. Most academic papers are not something that you're going to be able to take mm -hmm. and like immediately just absorb into your practice, right? Yeah. But they will inform your understanding of these concepts and of the relationships between the stories you know, the folklore that people have kept to themselves all this time, the little folk traditions that nobody ever talks about except in little academic papers that are like 30 pages long for somebody's dissertation somewhere. Right. Having all that information might not give you something that's like immediately useful, but you know, five years down the line, when you're thinking about how can I worship Loki in this context as a hearth god, because everyone's always like, oh, heathenry doesn't have a hearth god. And I'm like, it does, it's Loki. I can, you know, then I can point to these sources, to these things that I know about that, that I learned from a scholar because not because he's a heathen, but because he studies this from a folkloric perspective. Right. Exactly. Now, to be fair, not everybody's going to have that kind of that time, kind of time. <laughs> or dedication. But I mean, my point is, even if you don't have that kind of time or dedication, at least find the mythologies that are connected to what your tradition is or what your interest is. Read some Joseph Campbell. Read, you know, find... Don't read only Joseph Campbell. No, no, no. I said some Joseph Campbell. Get other sources that discuss the mythologies. Mm -hmm. Be willing to read something that was written by the Romans about the Celts. Yep. You know, I mean, you have to know your history in order to move forward. Well, since we're at this point, mm -hmm. it's time for reviews! Ooh, perfect. Yeah, we're doing something a little different this week. Way different. Yeah. yeah. Not a little different. Car, Gwyn, and I are going to each review a different book. So we're each going to review a book related to our paths that we think would be sort of a good starting point for people. Mm -hmm. Right. I'm reviewing, or have read and now reviewing, Celtic Cosmology and the Otherworld, Mythic Origins, Sovereignty, and Liminality by Sharon Pace McLeod. I did receive this free from Sharon to review many months ago. <laughs> so this actually came out in May. It's 293 pages, 40 bucks. Yeah. It's an expensive book because this really is it's a, text a textbook. textbook. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I actually called out Ode earlier today when yeah. I was going through it again going, hey, guess what? You're going to love this book. You need to read it too because there's like 30 pages of chapter notes and yep. then there's you know, 14 pages of bibliography. It's exactly my kind of book, you guys. <laughs> I haven't read it yet, but I'm gonna. It is a great book. Yeah. I have really, really, really dug it. I'll just give you some kind of the basic stuff over it. It talks about pie. Mm -hmm. uh, so, proto-Indo-European mm -hmm. 
uh, root words. Okay, and good. So how oh, to, I'm going to love this book. Right? And how to take those root words and figure out uh-huh. kind of what's being said. Mm. And part one is mythic origins. And there so they go. actually talk about the ancestries of the gods and mythic symbolisms okay, of times and too. sacred so cycles. And then part two is sovereignty. And so it's divining divinities, restoring the rightful goddess, mistress of the wild things. Part three is liminality which is the circle of nines, the priests, the islands, and the magical rites, uh, the cauldron of Owen and the stream of Abbas. So all of that kind of stuff is in here. It is incredibly deep. Uh-huh. The reason why I haven't reviewed it till now is because it's taking me that right. long to kind of get, get through it. it. You can pick this up on Amazon, that kind of stuff. It is from McFarland Publishing, which is McFarlandPub.com. Okay. You can pick it up there. It's also available in eBooks, all that kind of stuff. So mm. great book. I highly, highly, highly recommend it. This one's a five-star win for me, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you get a chance to get out there and pick this book up, again, it's called Celtic Cosmology and the Otherworld. Do it, because it is well worth it. It is in print and out of print fairly often, even though it just came out in May, like the first... They they did a short run or something? I don't know if they did a short run, but like the first one was sold out like pretty much instantly. Mm-hmm. But they're doing more printings. Yeah, but they're doing it. more printings of okay. it. So get online, put it on backward yeah. if you have to. If you're into Druidism, Celtic reconstructionism, Celtic reclaiming, whatever, mm-hmm. this is the book that you have to have on your bookshelf. You have to have it. Excellent. Okay, so I guess I'm next. Okay. The book that I'm reviewing today is The Green Witch, Your Complete Guide to the Natural Magic of Herbs, Flowers, Essential Oils, and More by Erin Murphy Hiscock. Okay. Um, the reason I'm doing that is because she is not so narrowly focused into Wicca. She is, this is witchcraft. Gotcha. Like in a very up, broad sense. A very broad sense of this is witchcraft. This It's not necessarily down to a particular religion. So I really liked it for that so reason. So this is like, you could slot this into any religion. You could religion. slot this into any um, deity right. system that you have, any gotcha. any religion. I know that the, the Mora system has a little bit more... You have to do this, 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 and this right. to it. And there, she does have a little bit of that in there. Otherwise, I found this to be a very thorough book. She talks about how to connect with green energy, with the energy of plants and stones and trees. She gives great examples. She gives exercises. Some of the chapters include what is green witchcraft? Embrace your own power. Attune yourself to nature. Manifest the power of the seasons. Create and craft green witchcraft magic. Becoming a natural healer. It's all very practical. Right. I really think that this is an excellent book if you feel called to be a green witch, if you are are very much attuned with plants and essential oils and eco-conscious and... You know, you have a garden or a container garden like Mm -hmm. I do, or you're really into recycling and things like that. This is an excellent book. The Green Witch, Your Complete Guide to Natural Magic of Herbs, Flowers, Essential Oils, and More by Erin Murphy Hiscock. How many stars? Five. Excellent. Okay. I'm reviewing The Younger Edda by Rasmus B. Anderson. (laughs) It's the translation of, of the prose Edda. He calls it the Younger Edda. The copy that I've read was written in 1907. I think his original translation was actually in 1880. You can find it on Project Gutenberg for free. And there are a couple of translations of the Prose Edda that are out of copyright, and so they're like widely available. Anderson's is the one I prefer, even though I think it's actually the oldest one out there, because he doesn't use... The English is archaic. 
but it's for archaic English. It's very accessible. Mm-hmm. There's no these and thous that you'll find in like Brodeur's translation. He goes a very the and thou direction. Brodeur cuts out some of the nuances, uh, I think, in the language. He doesn't translate as literally. Anderson translates very straight, and it's very readable, or at least I find it very readable. If there are words you don't know because they're like old and nobody uses them anymore, just look them up. They'll expand your vocabulary at the same time. Right, It'll be great. Exactly. There are some things in the Anderson translation that are a problem, not with the translation itself, but because it was written in the early 1900s, and the scholarship is thus now very out of date. Right. So he's got a lot of notes and, like, theories that he'll pull out in footnotes outside of the translations where he tries to explain something, and most of that has been, like, debunked in further scholarship. At the time, it was good scholarship. Now we look back on it and we're like, no. Right. Incorrect, sir. (laughs) Incorrect, sir! Incorrect, sir. But Rasmus B. Anderson was the American ambassador to Norway for a while. Okay. He wrote a whole bunch of books about Norway and about Norse mythology. And he handles the text with, like, a very strong awareness that it was written post-Christianity. And, in fact, his preface is like, So I'm going to include the foreword that was written here, but I would like you to skip it until you have read everything else in the Edda, because it was clearly written by a later person. It was intended to defray suspicion, so just ignore it at the beginning, come back to it at the end when you have the full context. It's a really interesting translation. It's my preferred translation for the prose Edda. And I I don't want you to stop there. I want you to read the Anderson translation and then read the Brodeur translation. And then if you can, because sometimes you can find these, get like a graduate student's translation of the Eddas. Because sometimes graduate and postgraduate students will translate the Eddas, either the poetic or the prose Edda, into English. Right. And if you can get those, you'll find interesting nuances and layers there that only sort of come up when inexperienced translators are translating because they tend to translate very literally. Right. Very, very, very straight in a way that reveals different... Nuances. Nuances, different contexts for what these words mean in a very literal sense as compared to the way they're translated more in the context of the sentence by Brodeur and Anderson. Gotcha. So I recommend reading, starting with Anderson's, because like I said, it's a pretty accessible translation, even if it is very, very old. And then moving through various translations and reading them side by side because you'll uncover, you'll unlock sort of more layers to these stories as you go. And then read the Poetic Eddas afterwards in various translations also because the Poetic Eddas are older than the Prose Edda. They're they're Snorri's source for the Prose Edda. So So how are you going to rate this? Anderson's, I will rate just Anderson's The Younger Edda. Okay. And I would give it three and a half stars, probably. Okay. It's a very good translation, but the scholarship is now considered poor. Right. But it's worth it. And like I said, the language is archaic, so you'll have to look some things up. But right. it's a good read, and it's a it's what I would consider like the the most basic starting place for if you're interested in heathenry. That's it for reviews. Excellent. One of the other things I wanted to talk about here that sort of actually ties into my review of Anderson's right, Younger Edda. the fact Edda. that you can find it places? No? Not well, yet? there's that, but okay. we'll get to that. But first I want to talk about something that's relatively new. It's called purity culture, and it must die. <laughs> <laughs> purity culture is this idea 
that if something comes from an untrustworthy source, the the material that is produced must be discarded wholesale. Mm. And I understand where that comes from. You don't want to participate in the works of an unpleasant person. Right. right. I understand that. But purity culture is impossible in a group as small and insular as minority religions. Because if you throw out the work of every person you personally know to be unpleasant, you will have no work left. Right. And furthermore, unpleasant people, even people with reprehensible beliefs, can sometimes still have good thoughts buried down in there. Right. And I think the same can be said for mediocre writers mm-hmm. within the pagan community. Because you have excellent writers, and, and then you have, you have yeah. absolute schlock. And then you've got the middle. Sometimes, like Rasmus B. Anderson translates the younger Edda, he writes what he thinks is good scholarship, and it turns out later that it's bad scholarship. Right. That doesn't make his translation of the younger Edda bad. Mm -hmm. His translation is still fine. His theories were just wrong. Right. Purity culture would have me throw this all out as trash because his theories were wrong and in some cases racist because it was the early 1900s. But his translation is still good. Right. It's still useful. It still reveals layers and nuances. Galina Kraskova, not a nice person as as far as I can tell. I know that there are, she has a lot of detractors, people who dislike her. She's a, a writer in the Northern tradition. She's a little abrasive. She's said some shit online. But purity culture would have me throw her out entirely. Mm-hmm. Would have me not engage with any of her work. Right. But some of her work is good. Exactly. Some of her work has kernels of interesting ideas in it that I can still use, which is where critical thinking comes in. <laughs> critical thinking is reading a thing and then not just accepting it wholesale, but dissecting it, exactly. comparing it against your experiences and the other things you've read, and just de- determining through like an extended process what parts of it are useful and true. Mm-hmm. And again, I think that it comes down to anything you read. When I was starting out in in witchcraft and in Wicca back in 2000, well, actually in the 1990s, right? In the 1990s, the late was, 90s and early aughts, there was very little out there, mm-hmm. you know, in, in terms of writing. And so you you had Starhawk, you had Margot Adler, you had Cunningham, Cunningham. you had Scott Cunningham, you had Silver Raven, And Gardner. <laughs> and Gardner and Buckland. You had the Ferrars. I yeah. mean, you had people, but... It, what we now consider well, the classics. You had the, right. what we now consider the classics, but even amongst that group of what we now consider elders, mm-hmm. there were people who had some really great things to say, and some people that you had to pick and choose. Yeah, yeah. who had some trash. Who yeah. had some trash. Started out with Scott Cunningham and moved on to Silver Ravenwolf. Mm-hmm. And from there, Dorothy Morrison. And I found as I read those different books where the good parts were, mm-hmm. where parts meshed, mm-hmm. and where it was like, really? Never. Yeah. <laughs> Do I really want to believe and accept this? Never let one source be the end of your search. Like you will hear people now saying, don't ever read Silver Raven Wolf. It's crap. But that's not exactly true. Yes, there was a lot of stuff that Silver Raven Wolf wrote that was kind of trite, maybe. Mm-hmm. And a lot of unsourced stuff. And a lot of unsourced stuff. But she's still writing. Mm-hmm. There's, I just got one of her books not that long ago, and it's got some really good stuff in there. You just have to, you have to be discerning. You have to use your mind, your critical thinking, mm-hmm. do some extra research. Don't just go by what one author says. Research it. Mm-hmm. Find out, yeah, does this work for me or not? And then move on from there. But don't just throw them out, you know, baby with the bathwater. Yeah. 
You can and some of these, keep those authors. Some of these authors, some of these things you should only read once you have a, already attained a degree exactly. of familiarity and skill so that you know what you're looking at. Right. So I, because we're talking about purity and I know where the stone came from that you're going to talk about, I think it's time for Oats Stone <laughs> Corner! Okay. The stone I'm going to talk about this week is Soapstone. Which is maybe not one that you consider using, even though a lot of things in the pagan community are made out of soapstone. You want to tell where you got this piece I got of soapstone? This piece of soapstone <laughs> from Carr, because they sell a product called whiskey stones or spirit stones that are little blocks of stone that you put in the freezer and then you put them in your whiskey so that they can keep your drink cold without melting and, and diluting your alcohol. Yep. So Carr had these, and he hadn't used them in a while because we almost never drank in the house. And so he just gave them to me because I asked for them. Because yep. he told me he wasn't using them. And I like them because they're square. <laughs> and So purity-wise, that's aesthetically probably not the best. That's, a, but... <laughs> that's aesthetically pleasing to me. Yeah, no. So, like, these have been in alcohol. They have and, indeed. Yeah, so they've been in the freezer for a long time. Uh, so, but I have them now. And soapstone is a really interesting material. So it's a metamorphic stone, which means it's created when a, sto a different stone is subjected to different conditions, in this case, usually heat and pressure, and it transforms into soapstone. Okay. It's mostly made out of talc, although different specimens of soapstone will have different talc percentiles. Okay. Talc is a really, really soft material, mm -hmm. a high magnesium content. And soapstone is a generally soft stone with a Mohs scale hardness of 1, which is like the Mohs scale goes to 10. So it starts at 1, and that's where soapstone is most of the time. Sometimes you'll have a soapstone that's a little, a little firmer, that has like a lower um, percentage of talc in it. That's what's used in for architectural purposes, in kitchen counters and things like that. It's right. sometimes used for that. It's sometimes used in fireplaces. And then you have very, very soft soapstone, which is used for stone carving. And you will find a lot of little figurines and mortars and pestles and things like that that are made out of soapstone in the pagan community because it's so, so easy to carve. Gotcha. Uh, it's also the reason it's used in the construction of fireplaces and also coincidentally the reason it's used as a whiskey stone is because soapstone has a very high specific heat, which means that it changes temperature very slowly. Right. So when you put it in the freezer, it takes a little piece of soapstone like an hour to warm up. Okay. So it keeps your drink cool Cold for, a, for a longer time. When you make a fireplace out of soapstone... It absorbs and retains that heat and then very evenly disperses it over time because it takes the soapstone a long time to get hot, but then it stays hot for a long time. So, you know, a thousand years ago, they were making fireplaces out of soapstone so that they could build up a fire, the soapstone would get hot, and then when the fire went out, the fireplace, the hearth would still be warm. Right. And would keep the house warm for longer periods of time. It's a non-porous stone. So you use it in kitchen counters and things like that because it doesn't absorb stains. Right. Or alcohol. Or alcohol. That's also why you can put it in your alcohol because it's yep. not going to absorb any of that. And it has low electrical conductivity. So it's sometimes used in electronics as um, an insulator. Oh, interesting. It comes in a variety of colors. It can come in green. Uh, it can come in white or gray. It can come in red, brown, or black. And sometimes, uh, especially on larger specimens, you'll see it come in several of those colors, which is one of the easiest ways to identify it when you find it, like, in a store. If you find a mortar and pestle or something, and it's 
you know, mostly reddish colored, but it's got like these white veins in it and little specks of green. That's probably soapstone. Gotcha. Soapstone has what I call like a very mellow temperament. It's got like a very mild character to it. It has an uptone, but a very slight uptone, just very mild stone in general. But it's very focused and reliable. It's very logical, truth-seeking. It's interested in not divining information, but acquiring information. Okay. It's good for storage, which is not really surprising given its characteristics. It's unlike quartz, it's not going to tune to the intention you put into it, but it's good for storing intentions and releasing them slowly over time. So if you have like a slow burn spell, Mm -hmm. you could take a piece of soapstone and put that spell into the soapstone, put that soapstone in a place, and it would very gradually radiate that energy Mm. for over long periods of time. You would have to, you would have to recharge it regularly, unlike a piece of quartz, which you could tune to just constantly be this now, to constantly focus on that vibration or or whatever. Soapstone, you'd have to like periodically fill up again because it would eventually empty, but it could, for over long periods of time, gradually emit. Right. A spell. Very cool. It's also very adaptable. If it's carved into a specific shape, especially those little figurines, Mm -hmm. soapstone is willing to do what I would call masking, which is sort of a pseudo transformation. So its natural properties aren't going to change. It's still soapstone. It will still do soapstone things. Right. But if you want it to represent the characteristics of the thing it's been carved into, soapstone will put that mask on for you. Okay. And so, we'll, for instance, like a guardian. Exactly. Soapstone is really, really good. If you get those little soapstone figurines, it's really, really good for making, um, for enlivening, for making little watchers, mm-hmm. for making little gate guards. Um, especially if you specifically ask it to do that thing, like to put that mask on, and then right. you regularly charge it with that intention. It will just constantly Very do cool. the thing. Yeah. Very cool. neat. That's it for Oats Stone. Corner! (laughs) So now we should, I think, definitely talk about places you can find things. Yes. Mm -hmm. So probably the biggest one that you can use to find scholarship online Mm -hmm. is Google. Yeah. yeah, that's But you have to know how to use Google properly. To my surprise, that there are a lot of people who don't know how to use Google. (laughs) Right. Who just, like, type a whole question into the search bar and pray. Yep, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And that's a way to go about it. And I think that's the way most people use Google. But the search terms, the the functions built into the search bar are actually pretty robust. Yep. And this is why I have Google Food. uh Mm Uh-huh. Is that I've known these... From the beta, yeah. Yeah, from beta on. So here are just some, like, really simple things you can do to Google more effectively. Use quotation marks. So if you put quotation marks around words... Google will only show you results that have that exact phrase. Right. So if you Google heathen practices in Scandinavia and you put quotation marks around it, it will only show you pages that have the exact phrase heathen practices in Scandinavia. Exactly. If you include an asterisk, which is called a wild card in programming terms, inside or outside of that quotation mark, that stands for an unknown variable. So you could do quotation marks around the phrase asterisk in Scandinavia, and Google would send you any page that had any word followed by in Scandinavia in it. Right. You can use a minus sign in your search. You can indeed. And that will eliminate terms from your results. Or websites. Or websites, yeah. So I could I could say heathen practices in Scandinavia in quotation marks minus tribal. Right. 
and then I would never get search results that included the word tribal in the same page as the word heathen practices in Scandinavia. Yep. And then you can use a function called site, S-I-T-E, like website, site, colon, colon. Yep. and then the name of the website. You append that after your search terms, and Google will only search that website, the whole directory of that website, for your search terms. Yep. And then there's also reverse image search, which I guess a lot of people don't know about. If you go to the search bar, there is a little camera icon next to the microphone icon. Yep. If you click on the camera icon, you can put a photo in, uh, either from a website or from your computer, from a saved file. Right, which you can just drag in. There. Yeah, you can just drag it straight on, on there. Yep. And Google will search for images similar to that one. So if you have a picture of a, like a tool that you don't know what it is, right? you can take a picture of that, you can upload it to your computer, you can drag it into the reverse image search, and Google will show you everything it thinks looks like that photo. Right. Which will vastly improve your chances of figuring out what the thing is. Yep. I think the, the important lesson here is Google is your friend. Don't be afraid to use it. Right. And... Don't ever search for just one search yeah. term. If you do if, just witchcraft, if, I mean, you know, <laughs> I've done that. Yeah, that's, that'll get you some vague results. That'll get you a real vague result. Google very specific things and Google multiple iterations of that specific thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I would never Google just heathen practices in Scandinavia. I would Google heathen practices in Scandinavia, Scandinavian folklore, which is in Scandinavia, which is in Norway, folklore in Norway, folklore, right. folklore in Sweden. And it'll yeah. actually give you at the very bottom of the page mm -hmm. suggested other terms. Things which are things that other users have searched right. in relationship to that, to similar searches. And right. it is very useful to click on those. Mm -hmm. I yeah. have found yeah. great websites clicking on those And if you, if you sites. use Chrome... Mm -hmm. And you hold your shift key or your command key or whether right. you're on Mac or PC. Whatever you're using. And click, it'll actually open in a new tab. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You should also be able to right-click open a new tab yeah. from anywhere. Which is and, just too many. But people can do it. <laughs> yes. Uh, if they're not keyboard shortcut savvy. And then you should also be willing to go more than like three pages deep. I think most people mm -hmm. never get beyond the first three pages of Google searches. Some people I can actually be tell the you this. Page. Right. 90% of people never get below the fifth thing listed on the first yeah. page. Go at least like five pages deep and open a bunch of tabs. Honestly, yeah. I personally recommend 10. Yeah. Well, it sort of depends on how yeah. um, accurate your yeah. search counts are. True. If you're not getting a lot of like accurate results, then yeah, exactly. You know, don't go any deeper than five. But if you're getting a lot of results that are like relevant to your search, then go, yeah, 10 or 15 deep. Yeah. Because... Some people just don't do their SEO properly, and then they end up further back in the pages, which doesn't mean their material is not good. It just means it's got fewer eyes on it. Mm -hmm. Right. Sometimes the stuff with fewer eyes on it is better. Correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, because the people who wrote it don't understand SEO. Exactly. And they but they do understand. But, but they do understand their content. Right. Exactly. Yes, that's yep. right. That's right. So, did we want to talk about specific web pages? Yeah, there are a few big ones. I think we should talk mm -hmm. about. Okay. So what are your few big ones? Let's my see big if they ones, match up with mine. Okay, my big ones, let's start with Project Gutenberg. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because you can find oh, so much. basically every out-of-copyright book that was ever written on Project mm -hmm. Gutenberg. True. Which is going to include a lot of primary texts, like the translations of the Eddas. Mm -hmm. And it's going to include a lot of very old witchcraft texts. Mm-hmm. 
like gardener's books. Exactly. And sometimes it's good to read those things, even if you're not going to use them in your practice, just, just to sort so of to know have, where you came from. Exactly. Know where you came from. Understand and that way, your history. And that way, when you see those things being... Because a lot of people will not source things, especially in pagan writing. Mm-hmm. They will not list the source of where they learned this information. And sometimes I think it's because they haven't, like, retained where they learned this information Mm -hmm. from. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just common knowledge, right? Right. But it started somewhere. And chances are it started back in the past with one of these early authors. If you read those early authors, you will then recognize those things being used by future authors who no longer remember that it came from a specific place. Exactly. Exactly. Then you will be able to make a more informed judgment about whether this is a thing you want to include in your practice. The other one, the other big one that I would recommend that I think probably is not recommended for pagans a lot, but which Mm -hmm. is very useful for me in my practice because I read a lot of papers, is academia.edu. This is actually a website that is intended for academics to upload their papers to each other. Mm-hmm. You can get an academia.edu account without an edu email, email address. address yep. I use my Gmail address. I do as well. I'm on there just as an independent researcher. Yep. I've never uploaded a paper, and it has not caused me a problem. Yep. But I look for papers there regularly. They have a search bar where you can search for papers under various keywords. And because I search for the same sorts of things frequently, Academia sends me a roundup, essentially, once or twice a month of new papers that have been uploaded that are maybe relevant to my interests. New papers in the area of folklore and religion and comparative mythology and that sort of thing. So... I am constantly getting papers that have been recently uploaded by tech-savvy academics Mm -hmm. who are making their work available on the internet for free. So I I highly recommend if you have any interest in reading academic papers, Mm -hmm. this is the most accessible way to get them. I recommend also ThoughtCo.com. ThoughtCo's fine. For for people who are looking for some information that's accessible about specific things like sabbats, Mm -hmm or particular rituals, different things that you can do. I would consider ThoughtCo like a very accessible sort of entry-level Yes, mm-hmm. and that's website. the point. Yeah. People do need an entry-level yeah. place to go, and I think ThoughtCo is an excellent place to go for that. I would never make ThoughtCo your final stop. No. No. Um, no. Especially it's... because they don't always source very well on ThoughtCo. And, no. that's, and that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I would recommend it as a starting place yeah. and then build from there. Especially if you're starting from a position of just no information. No information ThoughtCo at all. ThoughtCo can, at the very least, give you interesting search terms. And it can yep. give you a direction. Right. A direction to search. Yep. yep. And that's one of the reasons I like ThoughtCo. It's user-friendly and it's accessible. Yeah. Yep. Sticking with the book thing mm-hmm. is uh, I have quite a few that I visit that are kind of esoteric. One of them is the Internet Sacred Text Archive. Which we've talked about before. Yep. And has tons of stuff on it. You can purchase their flash drive. Yep. Uh, with all 1,700 books. So I really dig that site. And it's a little more specific than Project Gutenberg, which Correct. does have basically everything yep. that's ever been printed on Earth. Yep. Then there's a bunch of colleges. So the Perseus Digital Library from Tufts University is very, very good. A lot of texts up there. Uh, broken down by, you know, Greek and Roman materials, Arabic materials, nice. Germanic materials, 19th century American, Renaissance. Nice. And then, oddly enough, the Richmond Times-Dispatch, because <laughs> they're in Virginia. A couple other ones. Fordham University has a great one. University of Chicago's uh, online library is very good as well. Forgotten Books mm-hmm. has a lot of really cool yes, stuff. Yes, I see um, the Book of Enoch there. Yeah, the Book <laughs> yeah. of Enoch, yeah. the Book you of the You can get some of the Apocrypha that I like, that I really yes. enjoy. 
And I think that's important to note, just because it's connected to either Christianity through Gnosticism or some some way right. like that. Or Judaism. Or Judaism. Yeah. It's okay to read books like the... Oh, the Apoc- Apocrypha you know, is super interesting. Yeah, yeah, the Book of Enoch or the Book of Mary Magdalene. Yeah. It's okay to read those just because it's about Jesus and all that doesn't mean you can't glean something important from it. Mm-hmm. I still read the Bible periodically. Yeah. Like, I go through it every now and again. Well, it's not one of my sacred texts, but it's still mm-hmm. an interesting right. book. And there the are songs are beautiful. And the uh, Song of Solomon, beautiful. <laughs> and there are traditions within the pagan yeah. wheelhouse that use psalms and, and things like hoodoo. that. Yeah, hoodoo. They're, they're hoodoo. widely used in hoodoo. You know, yeah. Exactly. Uh, Santeria. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Forgotten Books is a good place. It's got, it's got a really good search in it. There's about 1.2 million books nice. available there. Mm-hmm. can be either read online, downloaded by ebook, or you can purchase it in print as Ooh. well. And the print versions are actually really nice. Like, they do them in, in high quality. Oh, really nice, reprint. well-bound. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah nice. exactly. It's all over the place. Yeah. So you can get everything from the Book of Enoch to Stories of Atlantis. The Master Mason's Handbook. The Master Mason's <laughs> Handbook. Uh, Irish Druids and Old Irish Religions. Magic Plants. And it's all stuff that's out of print. Mm-hmm. So the downloads are free. But if you want a, a high quality version of right. it, just stick it in your library. It's mm-hmm. a good place to go. And it supports the website. Right, exactly. exactly. Also, PDF library, which I think you would like. It's actually septaternalia.net. Septentrion. Right. <laughs> we'll put a link up. Yep. Yes. There will be a huge links yeah. post from this. Because we're only going to talk about... A few of the items that we tend to visit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But but we have huge we have, link libraries, we have huge essentially. huge link libraries. <laughs> but like, uh, for instance, here, I'm just looking at Old Norse editions online hey. right now. And the Poetic Edit by Finjur Johansson is up there. Yeah. Uh, the Prose Edit is up there also by Finjur Johansson. Tons of different scholarly and instructive works. Nice. Uh, all in, some of it in English, but from the original Icelandic. Yeah. So this is one that you Mm -hmm. want to dive into Mm -hmm. and take a look at. And that's just one of the many things in there. I can click on Irish and get all the Irish ones. So there's tons of uh, stuff on on that website. Mm -hmm. Lots of really cool things there. Do you have any stuff specific to your path that you go to at all? Not that's like ancient in the same way that we've been talking. You know, we've mostly been talking about academic stuff and like primary slash secondary sources. For modern like religious stuff, there isn't that much for heathenry. There's the trough. Mm-hmm. which has a website. Like, there's not a lot on the Troth's website, and gotcha. I also don't, like, I have some philosophical disagreements sure. with the Troth about yeah. Loki. So mostly what I go to is northernpaganism.org, I think is the website, which is the home of the northern tradition that was started by Raven Caldera, who, again, is a person that has a lot of detractors, but purity culture can die, so right. <laughs> I continue to use it. He doesn't source very well, uh, necessarily. And there's a lot of UPG mixed in with... And UPG's fine. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. UPG is fine. I like to know the difference between UPG and right. and original material, and I don't have a problem with that because I've read the Eddas and the Sagas, so I know what the original material is. Right. Mm-hmm. So when I see stuff that's not from the original material, I'm like, oh, good upg right because i find modern upg really useful Mm -hmm. my stance is that originally all of it was upg which is unverified personal gnosis none of this came down directly from the lips of the gods right it was written by human people yeah (laughs) 
That's why it exists now. So I don't have a problem with UPG, and I go to Northern Tradition. Again, I would recommend being familiar with the source material before you go there, because the sourcing isn't very good. But mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of really good, interesting UPG there. I think a lot more heathens would find it useful if they would just read it. Right. For some reason, the Northern Tradition and like mainstream heathenry don't get along. I'm not clear on what the problem is, ex except UPG. But I think mainstream heathens would actually get a lot out of the Northern tradition if they actually gave it a chance. Do you have any colleges that upload stuff based on that? I mean, like like in the in the Celtic tradition, we get a lot of, like, Celt-inscribed stones from the University of London. There, or... um, there are... I don't follow any colleges. Okay. I follow a couple of specific scholars. Most of them I follow on academia.edu. I do go to Eldar Hyde's website. Um, it's Eldar, E-L-D-A-R, uh, dash Hyde, H-E-I-D-E dot -E net. And he's a professor who, like I said, wrote that article about Loki. He wrote right. a dissertation about Seether once. And he's written some really, really interesting... He's got like a really vast library of work about Old Norse concepts and sort of dissecting those and dissecting the language. And so he's written some really interesting things. I follow Dr. Jackson Crawford, who has actually moved from one university to another, which is why I find it not super useful to follow the universities. universities okay. Mostly uh, I follow the individual professors who have interesting things to say. Gotcha. Um, Dr. Jackson Crawford actually has a YouTube channel that he uploads to fairly regularly where he talks about Old Norse etymology, how to pronounce Old Norse words as best as we can tell. He's got like a... Like he's got a... a an episode about Norse colors. And in there, he goes on like a little digression about how the Norse didn't actually have like a concept of brown as a human color. Brown was a horse color. So they had hmm. black and red for human colors and about how like yellow didn't exist as a concept for them, but they had like red gold and pale gold. And those were two like separate ideas. It's a really interesting digression that gives you some more context for some of the poetry that you find in like the, the Poetic Edda and in some of the sagas. Right. Because it, it unveils these layers that, that their language just didn't have context for these concepts. Gotcha. Yeah, so I recommend Dr. Jackson Crawford's YouTube channel. Watch all of them because sometimes, like I said, he'll go on these digressions that will like uncover unexpected secrets. What about you, Gwen? Anything that you like specific to green well, witchcraft or to witchcraft, you know, overall that you visit? Well, not specifically online. No, I'm okay. more, um, you're I, a book person. I'm a book person. <laughs> I don't go to a lot of the online sites, but for Wicca and witchcraft in general, I think a lot of UPG is what is, uh, is sought after yeah. and what's, what people are using. I know that there are blogs and websites. I choose mm -hmm. not to go to those necessarily. I do prefer to go to book sources. So like, I like to go to Amazon and, and search the books there under, you know, green witchcraft mm -hmm. or under witchcraft or wicca or whatever you know whatever my search term is and then just look through each book i would cunningham. say you know cunningham yeah. obviously morris dorothy morrison the christopher penzak inner temple outer temple series is an excellent starter for for people who are getting into witchcraft in fact i'd say that's the one to go to first okay so christopher penzak inner and outer temple it's several it's books two, it's, yeah, it's, it's two books or maybe three now maybe three yeah and then uh laurie cabot because she is, she she's the witch. She's the Salem witch. Isn't she's she? the the official witch of Salem. Yeah. She's very scientific in her mm -hmm. approach, at least pseudo scientific in a in a way, I guess right. you could say. There is a series of books that is called Traditional Witchcraft and 
think it's one author. I can't remember, so I'll have to put it up on mm -hmm. the website. But it's great. It's traditional witchcraft and the urban witch. Traditional witchcraft uh, and the woods and forests, etc. Yeah, it's a whole yeah. series of books. Very straightforward, traditional witchcraft for those who are not interested in a religion necessarily right. or Wicca. Just straight witchcraft. Right. I know it's controversial, but I recommend reading books by Ronald Hutton. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love Hutton. The Moon, The Witch... Various histories I wouldn't, and anthropologies yeah. uh, based on Wicca and witchcraft. Um, I would, again, Hutton is one of those that, as his scholarship has aged, some of it has proven untrue. So mm -hmm. some of his older books, um, even he's admitted like, yeah, okay, I was wrong on that one. But the point is but it's Hutton's, still valuable. Yeah, exactly. Hutton's dissections of the history of witchcraft are very interesting because he isn't one. Exactly. So he approaches it very clear-mindedly. Exactly. And I think the other thing is, you know, ask people what books did they read and what resonated with them. If you have, if, yeah, like a mentor. Know, if you have a mentor. I do re recommend reading Starhawk, even mm -hmm. though I don't necessarily agree with everything she writes. Much of her history is very wrong. Much of her history, yes. Mm -hmm. and, and you've got some things that I, I've learned that Anne Mora is kind of in that vein yeah. as well, which is why I recommended the mm -hmm. Green Witch book that I did today. Misinformation. Yeah, there is, there's some misinformation sure. historically there, yeah. but that doesn't make Anne their... Mora, DJ Conway. Yeah, DJ Conway. Those are some authors that it doesn't make the doesn't mean you shouldn't read them. Like I said, read critically. Read critically <laughs> yep. and recognize what's good and let the rest go. Yep. And there's two other websites I think everybody should at least give a good kind of reading to. Uh -huh. Which would be the Wild Hunt. Oh yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Keep up, keep up to date on modern pagan news. Yep. Exactly. And the pagan section of Patheos. Yes. yes, I read so many blogs on Patheos. Right. I do read a lot of blogs on Patheos. So I think those two that are, if you're not visiting those two websites, mm -hmm. you're missing yeah. out. Yeah. Now Patheos as a as a site is basically just an archive for religious yeah. blogs in general. Right. Yeah. So you have so, to go through the pagan area. Yeah, yeah. Go to the pagan section. There is a pagan section. When you go to just like patheos.com, you're, you're going to see a lot of, everything. you're going to see a lot of Christian stuff. Right. Do not be dissuaded. There is a pagan section and it is where a lot of really good pagan authors are blogging right yeah. now. I Tempest, the, Laura Tempest Zakroff blogs there. Jason Mankey. Jason Mankey. Who is another author who has a ton of books out there who yeah. are definitely worth a read. Yes. Yeah. Yep. There, are, there are a lot of John Beckett uh, blogs yeah. on Patheos. There are a lot of uh, authors who I would really recommend who are on Patheos in mm -hmm. the blogs. Yep. Go find them and read their back catalogs. Yeah. A lot of people for a long time thought it was strictly a Christian website, yeah, it's and not. it's not. So I think we're pretty close to being done here, but right? But first mm -hmm. we must go to... Cars Feast Table. Cars Feast Table. <laughs> All right. So, like last time when we did this Cars Feast Table thing, <laughs> I covered something I kind of thought went fun with what we were talking about. This one has absolutely nothing to do with like, what we're talking about. He just wants to make it. It's just my favorite <laughs> fucking dessert. We were so, watching a TV show. Right, and, yeah. Know. So, this is this recipe actually came from us watching The Great British Bake Off. <laughs> <laughs> Netflix. <laughs> On uh -huh. Netflix. This is recipes actually from Mary Berry. Hey, Good. protect Mary Berry. Yeah. That's right. And so it is tiramisu cake. I personally am a huge fan of tiramisu. Hard you saying. have no idea. Kara <laughs> and I fight over tiramisu sometimes. True. <laughs> True. So it, you basically, you bake a basic sponge cake, which will include uh -huh. the recipe for. Keep in mind, though, that this is from the BBC, so it'll be in grams. There are uh, websites you can use to, to convert. convert. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah 100 grams is three and a half ounces, in case you're wondering. But anyway. Um, it doesn't help either. 
Three and a half ounces doesn't help? No. No. Um, <laughs> Trust me. Look for a conversion table. It's out there. And then it's coffee. Okay. Brandy. As expected. Marscapone cheese. Mm -hmm. Double cream. And lots of dark chocolate. Mm -hmm. So it's probably the most amazing Italian dessert ever. If you disagree with me, you're wrong. Traditionally, a tiramisu is not made with a sponge. It no. is not. It, it is, is made, made with, with lady, lady fingers. fingers. But yes. this is a cake. It right. is inspired yes. by tiramisu. So we will, we will permit it because Mary Berry has so declared. <laughs> That's correct. But traditionally, Traditional lady fingers. Lady fingers, right. Yep. Just trust me. If you watch the British <laughs> Bake Off, the Great British Bake Off, you'll understand the love for Mary Berry. Yeah. We're definitely going to have to post this. It is... Not easy An involved to make. process. It no, is it an is involved process. process. It does take about two hours of cooking time and then you and will about eat an it hour of preparation. And then you will eat it in about five minutes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and it is 19 steps. <laughs> but we will certainly link to this puppy, get you all hooked on uh -huh. it. Because if you haven't had tiramisu. If you, yeah, if you've never had a tiramisu, you are missing out, right, my friend. Right. I even like tiramisu. So... so um, I could eat this entire cake myself. I like tiramisu better than creme brulee. Right, yes. Well, that makes sense and because creme brulee is gross. False. I really like <laughs> False. <laughs> so there are a couple of things we need to cover here at the end of the episode, like we As always, always do. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So you can find us on 3pagansandacat.com. That's the number three, pagansandacat.com. You can also find us on Facebook at the number three, P-A-A-C, that's three-pack. You can find us on Twitter at three underscore pagans. There's a bunch of other places you can find us, but you can find links to those on the very first website we talked about, three, the number three, pagansandacat.com. Also on that website, you can find services that Gwyn and Ode offer, and soon I will, uh, with OM readings. And then you will also be able to click on the link that says Communitas Paganus. Mm -hmm. And that has uh, morphed a little for mm -hmm. us, although there is a still a Communitas Paganus group that meets in the GR area, mm -hmm. and we will probably have a Communitas Paganus down here in at this area point. at, some, at point. some point. But we're morphing it into a magazine. So we decided to, to take our newsletter that we're really crappy at putting out. And that we weren't really using for right. anything interesting. Um, and turn it into an online magazine. Yep. With you as the contributors. Right. So if you have any interest in writing something, mm -hmm. taking pictures and sending it to us. Making art. Making art. Whatever it is. Giving a description of your paths. Yep. If you go to the threepagansandacat.com website and you click on Communitas Paganus, you get an incredibly long submissions process mm -hmm. that's all up there, uploaded so that you can see it doesn't cost you anything to submit. The magazine is actually going to be free because it's going to be online. Right. It'll be distributed through the same function that we use mm -hmm. to use our newsletter for. It'll also probably eventually be on a website. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, archived. Archived. Yep. If you're interested in doing that, and we've actually had several people ask for those of our friends in the Southern Hemisphere, yes, please write stuff about what's going exactly. on in the Southern yeah. Hemisphere because we have no clue. We, we don't we don't live down there, nope. y'all. We can only do so much <laughs> from here. And we love you. We love you. We want to know what you're doing. Yep. Tell, tell us what's up in Australia. Right. Exactly. Or South Africa. Yeah, exactly. Or wherever you're at. Or Brazil. Exactly. <laughs> right. So hit us up on that. I think that's it. Are we done now? I think so. I... Think? Uh -oh. You think so? Oh, we have a Patreon. You oh, heard yeah. about yeah. that. 
Yeah. We have a red bubble. Yeah. Yep. You heard about that. We have a Discord. Mm-hmm. We have a Discord mm-hmm. yep. uh, where you can hang out with us. All of that can be found on our Several website. people have been hanging out with us today. Yes, yep. Akaneko, Lorelai, and for a yeah. while Pick Dragon you, was you on. Get to, really you get that. to listen live if you are at the Hunter or Above tier yep. in mm-hmm. our Patreon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are going to be opening up the... Oh, that's right. We are going to be opening up the patron questions and the live recording channel as a Yule gift in December. For our Yule episode. Yeah, for our Yule episode. So we'll that's, let you know, we'll when, let you know when that's up. coming up and everyone will be able to listen live at that time. Yep. And interact. Yeah, yep. and, and hang out with us and I'm sure it will be absol- an absolute madhouse. But Right, yes. and <laughs> We I, would love for it to be an absolute uh-huh. madhouse. I think on, on that one we should drink. Yes, I, I strongly agree. I think because because we started the very first episode, you were hungover from yes. your Yule drinking. Yep. So I think we should end our first year of podcasting drunk on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so look forward to that drunk coming paganism. up. Yeah, coming up next month. Um, but other than that, yeah, I think I think that's everything. Okay. I think so, we finally managed to cover everything. All right, cool. Three pagans and a drunk cat. And now can you move on? Yes. <laughs> Three drunk pagans and a sober cat. Very unimpressed with us, probably. <laughs> right. So can we stop this? I think then? we can stop this. Okay. I think we're so done. we're good. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Probably. Right, cool. I think. You've been listening to Three Pagans and a Cat. Find out more information at www.threepagansandacat.com. <laughs>